just love what God has been doing through us. You know, we had this vision uh, many years ago before we established this building to have a church where the community felt at home. The community felt like this was their place. Many churches, the doors are closed. The, the wider community never, ever go in there. And I, I, we wanted to found a place where the community felt like this was their place, where they could belong here, even before they believe. They may believe different things, but they could belong here. Well, I mean, we've been on a mission for that, and we have a huge facilities team who do a phenomenal job. And they uh, had and hosted 35,000 people in this building last year, excluding Sundays, 35,000 people. So I just want to thank that team for doing such an amazing job at opening... Isabel, you can stand up. If you're on the facilities team, you can stand up. Isabel and others, well done. And others. And the one thing Isabel was going to say afterwards, was, Simon, we do not have a huge team. That was a mistake. They don't have a team. They have a small team who do an amazing job. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the lovely stories I got to hear was uh, a, a couple of groups of mums who come, one with disabled uh, children and one who've got twins. And they both come to the coffee shop and they say, we love it. This is the only place in town where we feel welcome. I thought, that is so good. That is the kind of church I want to be part of. So that's good. Let's just thank Jesus for a minute, shall we? Lord, we just thank you. What a privilege to be on, on your mission with you. What a privilege to be partnering with you. What a privilege just to hear those stories this morning. And we just thank you, Jesus, for your grace on us. We thank you that you are changing the world one life at a time, that you are transforming this planet from its ugliness and brokenness, and that we get to join you on the journey. We thank you for it in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, a number of years ago, J. John, the British evangelist, came here, and uh, he said, you know, many people have got the Columbus Syndrome. They don't know where they're going. When they, got there, they, when they get there, they don't know where they are. And when they get back, they don't know where they've been. And that is true. It's true. There are so many who are struggling with what is the purpose of life? What is the point of it all? And, um, you know, what I've realized is before I was a believer, that's where I was. I had no sense of purpose, no sense of, uh, of where I was going. You know, you are going to miss in life if you don't have a mission. If you've got no miss mission, you are going to miss. You, if you're aiming at nothing, you will hit it. And it's one of the most foundational things that we can get right is understanding what is our purpose? What is our mission? What are we about? And, you know, what I've observed of late is that there is massive transition going on in our community. Everyone I talk to is going through transition, either a new job or they've got new kids or their kids have left home or they've lost their job and looking for something else or they've moved into the area or moving out of the area or family are moving in with them or whatever. There's this huge transition going on all around us. And I don't know about you, but what I've realized, what keeps me stable in transition is knowing what mission I'm on. Anyone else observe that? If you know what you're about, then actually you can cope with the transitions of life, the things that, that knock you and things that, that change. And you know, the society we're in is a society of hopelessness. I was just looking uh, uh, for some quotes from how people are feeling, and I felt this summed up so much. Somebody wrote online, I can't pretend I'm okay anymore. I can't take it anymore. I'm hopeless, helpless, and I'm afraid I'll never get better. Someone else said, I feel like I'm waiting for something that isn't going to happen. Someone else said, I'm slowly giving up. Someone else said, I'm tired of feeling hopeless. I'm tired of feeling worthless. And above all, I'm tired of feeling tired. And the saddest thing of all is for everyone who contributes online and declares how hopeless they are, there are probably thousands, if not tens of thousands, who just suffer in silence. <laughs> they just suffer in silence, living hopeless life. And, you know, the saddest thing, one of the saddest things for me is the reality that many believers are in that place. 
Many of us get into seasons where we kind of get unhinged, disconnected from our purpose, from our mission, from what Christ has made us for. And so I thought as we begin this new year, I thought it would be great for us just to reflect once more on who is Jesus and what is his mission. (laughs) What does he do? What's he about? Where's he going? Because if when Jesus said, come follow me, you said, yes, I'll follow you, but you had no clue where he was going, you're going to get a little bit distracted. You're going to get a little bit unsure of your footing. The key thing is not only just, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus, but Jesus, where are you going? What are you doing? So if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 61, very famous passage we've looked at a number of times. I just want to read it it together and meditate on it for a moment as we see who is Jesus and what is he doing. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And there's a story in the Gospels in Luke where Jesus who is a traveling preacher, walks into a synagogue. And as was the custom in that day, often if there was a traveling preacher, they would be asked to speak. And so he picks out the scroll or the the books in those days of the prophets were written down in scrolls. He picks out the scroll of Isaiah. And Isaiah lives about 600 years before Jesus, was a prophet who saw what was to come. And so Jesus takes the scroll of Isaiah, it says he opens it to this passage, Isaiah 61, and begins to read it. He reads the passage, and then as was the custom, there was a chair there which was called the seat of Moses there is in every synagogue. He sat down on that chair. And what would normally happen then was the person who had read would then explain, and they would expound. And particularly on this passage, they would say, there's a Messiah who is to come, there is anointed one who is to come, one who will fix all of this mess and who will bring freedom to Israel. And that's what they would say. Apart from when Jesus sat down, he said this, today in your hearing, these words have been fulfilled. And it says everyone's eyes were on him. Why? Because no one had ever said that before. What do you mean these words are fulfilled what, now? <laughs> like right now? These, yeah, these words have been fulfilled in who? In him. What's he saying? He is the anointed one. That For those of you who are not familiar, Jesus Christ is not his surname like Simon Holly. Jesus Christ, the word Christ is just the Greek translation of this word, the anointed one, the Messiah. He is saying, I am the one who was prophesied would come. I am the anointed one who's been anointed by God to come and change and to fix everything. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. And this passage, Isaiah And for those of you who know about prophecy, Isaiah was like peering through the mist of the future, 600, I mean, imagine looking 600 years into the future and seeing what is to come. And Isaiah looks 600 years ahead and he says, this is what I see him doing, this anointed one. He says, I see him proclaiming good news to the poor. I mean, he could have done anything, but he comes to do what? to proclaim good news to the poor, to to proclaim that if you are poor and have no hope, there is a hope, there is provision, there is a home, you are welcome. Good news to the poor. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. He proclaims good news 
to the poor. He proclaims liberty to the captives. Captives are those who have been taken captive against their will. Those of you who heard Chris's story last week, he was a captive. His stepfather spoke stuff over him like, you're the trash that came with the treasure of my new wife. That was what was spoken over him. He was a captive. Many are caught captive to other people's words and plans for their lives. And Jesus came to speak liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Prisoners are those who are prisoners because of what? Because of their own actions. I was a prisoner. I was raised in a good family, but I was a prisoner because of my own actions. Prisoner to pornography, a prisoner to theft from a company I worked for. Some are captives, some are prisoners, many are both. And what does Jesus say? What does the Isaiah say about Jesus? He's going to come and proclaim the doors are open. That's good news right there. The doors are open. And notice that the word used here, proclaim. It doesn't say he opens the doors. It doesn't say he releases the captives. What does it say? It says he proclaims freedom to the captives. And it's a really important word because it doesn't just mean to speak. It's the same word that is used of God when it says he saw the light and he called it day. He proclaimed it day. He saw the ground and he proclaimed it, this is the earth. It's a creative word. It's a word that says, I'm declaring what is to be. It's like Jesus says to the captives, you are free. It's like he says to the prisoners, the doors are open. There's still something for the prisoners to do, isn't there? They've got to walk out of that prison. How many prisons are we still sitting in that Jesus has said the doors are open? That was a good point. How many prisons are we sitting in where Jesus has proclaimed the doors are open? How many of us live as captives when Jesus himself, the anointed one, has said, I proclaim you are free? Something to think about right there. But he did that, didn't he? He went around, the woman caught sickness for all of her life, eight, 20 years. He says, woman, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The woman caught in adultery who's messed her life up through sin. He says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. The, 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 the Zacchaeus who's squandering money that is nicked from other people. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house for tea. I think that's from the kids' nursery rhyme, but anyway. <laughs> I'm coming to your house. He calls the doors open. He calls the captives. You are free. He's a proclaimer. And that's not like the 1980s. Um, those who are around in the 1980s or 90s, there was a band called The Proclaimers, and everything in me is screaming to do an impression. I, I would walk 500 miles, but I'm not going to. I'm resisting. I'm, you need to know, pra- the Lord spoke to me about self-control, you see, this year. So I am, everything in me is holding back, and you're grateful for it. But you can do a little impression, if you like, later. You know, Nelson Mandela, the great reformer, when asked how he coped with suffering in prison, said this, I didn't suffer. I prepared. I knew that I'd come out and rule this nation, or I would die in prison and my blood would cause others to rise up and rule this nation. (laughs) That's a man who's free right there, even while he sat in prison. He's living with freedom on the inside. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that, that word favor is so rich because 
in English, it perhaps doesn't translate it, but it's got two words bound up. One is accepted. He came to proclaim that you are accepted. Ever wonder, am I going to be accepted by God? Jesus came to proclaim you're accepted. <laughs> That's good news right now. It was the same word used of the, of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, that they would be accepted was the same word, favor. But there's another word, richer, deeper, which says it's built into that word, and it's this word, delight. You know, when I was single, you could have said to me, there's a new phone, there's a new brick, there's a new baby. It all kind of got the same response. <laughs> it's just a thing, isn't it? It's just a new baby, it's just a new phone, it's just a new brick. That was kind of what it hit. In, in my, some of you are like, what's wrong? What is wrong with him? I don't know. That's just, I just didn't have any emotional response until I held my own new baby. And then when I held Kaya for the first time, what did I feel? Delight. And now I'm kind of ruined. Every time I see her or my boys, there's this, this delight. When I hug them, there's this delight. There's this, this delight that never leaves you once you've got it, once you've understood delight over someone. You're ruined forever for any, anything else. Some of you just like thinking about a new baby. You're starting to well up, aren't you? Rachel and Ben just had their twins. I was looking on Facebook. The picture was like, oh, welling up. You know, <laughs> no, they've had that. You just, there's just delight. Once it's got into your soul, you start to experience the delight of God over other human, it changes you forever. But have you received that delight for yourself? Have you basked in his delight for you, his delight over you? Have you felt the embrace of daddy around you? You know, each one of us should live in that place because Jesus said, it's the, day, it's the year of the Lord's faith. It's the year of the Lord's delight. You live in that delight you bask in that delight. It goes on and on. It wrecks your soul again and again. I, I, the first time I encountered it, I, I had this period where every time someone prayed for me, have you ever had this where if people pray for you, they'll always say the same thing even though they don't know each other and they come. Anyone ever had a season like that? It's just like the same thing happens. So I had this season where they were, people would pray, oh, Simon, the Father loves you. And then I'll go somewhere else, oh, Simon, the Father loves you. Someone else, Simon, the Father loves you. It's like, okay, after about a year, I get it, I get it, all right. <laughs> divine conspiracy and then I went to Wimbledon Vineyard one Sunday morning and there I was coming to the end and the team came up I went forward for prayer and they came up and someone began to pray what's your name Simon the father loves you I was like all right <laughs> and I just began to, for something snap I just began to weep I just began to weep from a deep deep place on the inside as I began to encounter the delight of the father the delight of God. And then what went on from there was a about 18-month period where whenever I was around other believers in any meeting, any small group, I would just start crying for no reason. I wasn't sad. I would just be like crying. I was like the guy who cries. You know, they would say, there's people here who are pregnant. Come forward for ministry. I'd be like, oh. there's people here with one arm. There's people here who are Chinese. You know, I would just be weeping at any ministry. It didn't matter what it was for. I was crying. I didn't know why. I wasn't sad. But it was something of the delight of the Father invading my soul. You know, that's for all of us. He delights over you, the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus didn't just come to say it. He came to proclaim it into your very soul until you get it and it comes out and reflects every, everywhere around. And then Isaiah says, and the, year, and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus, when he read these words, didn't say that. He kept that phrase back. Why? Because he pressed the divine pause button and said, there will come a day of judgment, 
but it's not coming yet. We're not living in the day of judgment. The day of judgment will come, the day when everyone will give an account for what they've done. It will come, but we live in the year of the Lord's favor. That's got to at least make you as corners of your mouth slightly lift. <laughs> <laughs> it has to. You live in the, day, the year of the Lord's favor, not the day of judgment. And, and he came to proclaim and he came to heal, to bind up the brokenhearted. He comes to heal those who are broken in the depths of their soul and to heal bodies. And we see that all the time. And uh, there was just a, a fun, you know, one of the stories of Jesus is he, he says to a blind guy, go to the pool of Siloam. He says, wash your face and you'll be healed. And the guy does and he's healed. Well, it was just fun. I was hearing from a friend of mine who leads a church in Oxford. And he said, well, this weird thing, he said, this lady came to her, I think it was a prayer meeting or something. She was like full of flu, really ill. You know, one of those people like you kind of, oh, stay over there, I'm not praying for you. Anyway, <laughs> one lady went up to her and says, I feel like if you go wash your face seven times in the toilets, you're going to be healed. It's like, what? who says that? Anyway, this lady did. She went and washed her face seven times in the toilet. Not in the toilet. I mean, in the sink in the toilet. This, this is the weakness of the English language, isn't it? This is the weakness of the English language. In the uh, bathroom, thank you. In the ladies, thank you. In the ladies. She washed her face in the sink in the ladies. All right. And she was totally healed. All the symptoms of flu left her right there. Because he's the one who comes to bind up those who are broken on the inside and on the outside, and then it says he comforts, to comfort all who mourn. I don't know if you've ever mourned or ever seen anyone mourn, but I've seen some shocking mourning. I mean, I went to a funeral of a lady who'd lost her husband young, and she wet, she howled like an animal in pain. It was just like the depth of mourning that came out of her soul. And yet it says the anointed one He's coming for those people. And I think really we're all those people, perhaps not to the same level. But in those days, you know, when you were mourning, you'd put ash on yourself. You'd, you'd, you wouldn't put oil, oil on you because that was for, that was, you didn't want to smell good. You, 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 you'd put rags on instead of your best clothes. And, and yet it says about the anointed one, the Messiah, he will give them a beautiful headdress instead of their ashes. Literally, he'll wipe their ashes away. He will pour oil of joy on them. He will take off those rags and he'll put on party clothes. <laughs> That's what he does. And I've seen him do it in thousands and thousands of people's lives. You know, there's two groups of people on the planet. Those that recognize they're broken, they're poor, they're in mourning, and those that are in denial. Be the first group, because the first group, when they recognize they're in that place, the anointed one says, I'm coming for you to lift you out of that place. I'm coming for you to turn you around. And this is what Isaiah says, he, they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Other kings left great cities great buildings, great fortunes, you know, uh, Constantine, the emperor, Roman emperor, left Constantinople, which became Istanbul, and Charles II left St. Paul's Cathedral, and Rockefeller left $374 billion. Jesus didn't leave any of that. He didn't found a city, didn't build a building, didn't leave any money. What did he come to do? He came to make great oaks 
Oh, <laughs> he came to make great oaks. If you're a follower of Jesus, I don't care how you feel, you're a great oak. Turn to the person next to you and look them in the eye and say, you are a great oak and so am I. You are a great oak. You are a great oak, and how does it, but how does it feel? It doesn't feel right, does it? You're like, no, I'm maybe a sapling, or, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm a weeping willow, but I'm not a great, does anything respond in you? Does anything kick back? Because it does by nature, but the reality is, when the anointed one proclaims you're a great oak, then you are a great oak. You know, this is the problem, again, with the English language. If you go to South Africa, have you got any South Africans here amongst us? Raise your hand if you're... Not one. We had, oh, yes. Well done. We love South Africans. Great to have you here. Well, South Africans, when they see a, particularly a big guy, but also one of good character, they'll say, oh, he's a great oak. Do you know what we've got in English? He's a nice guy. <laughs> We're really limited. We're really limited because we've got nice guys, but South Africans have got great oaks. He's a great oak. I couldn't see anything at the cinema. There was this great oak in front of me. That's how they talk. And we say, oh, it was, was, was a nice guy. It was a nice lady. This is what Isaiah says about them. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dresses, but you will be called priests of the Lord. They will speak of you as the ministers of God himself. You shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, for in their land they shall possess a double portion and they shall have everlasting joy. That's, a <laughs> That's not a description of a nice guy. That's not a nice guy. That's not a nice lady. That's a great oak right there. And it's time for us to realize he came for one reason, not to found a city, not to build a building, not to leave loads of money behind. He came for one reason and one reason only, to raise up great oaks. It's time to realize that and to look ourselves in the mirror and to say, this is our day to live as the oaks that he has made us to be. Think about that. You've seen a great oak. You see it's strong. It's got stature. It's like locked into the ground and the wind comes and it's like, come on, bring it on because it's solid and it's living and it, and it brings life to everything around it. That's what you were made to be. That's what I was made to be. We are born to be great oaks. And you notice as well, who was doing all the work in the first three verses? The anointed one. He proclaims the anointed one. He heals the anointed one. He brings comfort. But who's doing the work from verse 4 onwards? They. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. It says he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What do you do when you sit down? You're done. <laughs> You're done with your work. <laughs> it was as if he was saying, my, my work here is done. He has laid the foundation for the transformation of the planet. And he's done it through raising up great oaks. 
in you and I. He has finished his work. And many of us are praying, Jesus, do this, and Jesus, do that, and Jesus, do the other. And he's like, I'm done, guys. (laughs) I did my bit. I played my part. Now it's over to you. You are the people who are the great oaks, and you are the people who are going to raise up the ancient cities that have been long destroyed again, the ruins that have been devastated. You are those people. Notice it says not just ruins, it's ancient ruins. You ever, you ever seen ancient ruins? I mean, there's no hope for ancient ruins. You go around, there's like stone, there's grass growing over them, there's not a stone apart. I've been around some ancient ruins. Ancient ruins have got hopeless, are in a hopeless state. But Isaiah says, once the anointed one is finished with them, these great oaks will raise up ancient ruins. What ancient ruins have you got your eyes on? Because I'll tell you, whatever, whatever transition you're going through, whatever thing you're going through, whatever you're moving through, this mission does not change. You might have a different ancient ruin to work on. You might be working on another ancient ruin that you weren't working on before. But fundamentally, this is what you're doing. You're bringing life to the planet. You're bringing life to the city. You're bringing life and hope wherever you go. You're restoring ancient ruins. We had a, a family come to Christ last year. The first one we've seen, I think, where it was a Hindu family and the whole family, mother, father, and four kids all came to faith in Christ in a year. That's an ancient ruin there right now, <laughs> being restored and given hope. We, we've sent a team down to the south of France, an area that was filled with churches at one point, scene of a massive revival, and now a little team of four and their kids, three kids have gone down to start another church, and they're going to plant church after church after church across a whole region. They're restoring ancient cities. They're restoring places that have not heard the good news of Jesus. They shall raise up former devastations. This is what great oaks do. They raise up things that have been devastated. I don't know if you know the story of uh, Rob Glover. I think his picture's on the screen or coming on the screen. Rob was uh, a social worker in the Channel Islands, happily kind of doing his job. David Devonish, who we know has been here to speak, picked him out in a meeting and said, I see thousands of children around you. You're called to impact thousands of children. Within, I think, a couple of years, Rob had an opportunity to go to Shanghai to talk to the Chinese about fostering. Now, the Chinese had never heard of fostering really before. They'd not been practiced widely. Mostly, they just had these huge orphanages. And so Rob went to them to talk about He didn't speak Chinese, but he felt this call to go, had this opportunity, went to China to talk about fostering. And they gave him the opportunity to start in Shanghai a small project that would teach the locals about fostering. Within a year, they had 250 kids who had been fostered out of that project. 17 years later, and these stats are up to date, they have now placed 300,000 kids into families, out of orphanages and into families. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair ruined cities. If you've ever looked around at something in your workplace, in your street, in your family, in our nation, and thought, that is ruined, it's devastated, and it bothers me, you just, I think you just found part of your mission right there. I think you just found part of your mission right there. I think you just found a reason. Whatever job you do, whether, whatever, whatever thing you're doing right now, I think if you've got this thing in your spirit where you see something ruined and devastated, then maybe you're the great oak who's going to make a difference. Maybe it's small, maybe you touch one life, maybe you touch 100 lives, maybe you touch 300,000 lives, who knows? Maybe you're the one to rebuild the whole city, maybe you're the one to put one brick back in place. 
Who knows? But we're called to live as the people of the anointed one with his anointing doing these things. And how do we do it? I think we do similar things to him. We bring comfort. That's what he did, isn't it? He brought comfort to those who needed comforting. Sometimes people don't need fixing. They just need someone to listen. <laughs> so many doctors that I've talked to just say, if I just had someone on staff who could just listen, my patient list would be halved. <laughs> I just need someone to listen to them. Sometimes it's just standing alongside. Sometimes it's bringing healing into hearts or into bodies. There's a lovely story from a week or so ago. A lady was on the streets, met a guy who'd been attacked with a knife and had his nose like almost sliced off, had major facial damage. She said, is there any other result? And, and he said, I can't smell. So she had a, a, a scarf on her with perfume. She shoved it under his nose. I said, can you smell that? He's like, no. Shoved it under the fr no, his friend's nose. Can you smell that? Oh, yeah, really strong. So she said, can I pray for you, the first guy? He said, yeah. So she prayed for him, shoved it under his nose again. Can't smell anything. Prayed for him again. Suddenly he could smell. He's like, whoa, it's really strong. <laughs> Sometimes it's bringing healing. Sometimes, but maybe, and maybe this is what I felt the Lord speaking to me about this morning. Maybe it's just we've got to learn how to proclaim. You know, we've been on a massive journey as a church, learning to stop saying negative things about ourselves and to other people. Have you heard that message coming loud and clear? I mean, Chris went after it again last week. I was like, Gideon, God, we've heard it. We've heard this. Stop. If you haven't, please get this, because I really want the Lord to move on to other subjects, and he's going to keep bringing it back. Stop saying you're rubbish, you're a failure, you'll never achieve anything. Stop, stop, stop saying this stuff. We've got to all learn to stop this so we can move on and have another message. But you know what? <laughs> Do you know what? Once we've stopped, the danger is we move to the middle plane, which is just to describe. It's hopeless. Yeah, no, the situation's tough. And we just describe what we see. But you know this word proclaim is a different type of word. <laughs> it's not just about us stopping saying the negative stuff. It's not just about us descri describing what's there. That leaves things the same. Proclaiming is when we call things into life. When we see the ancient ruin and say, I see what this city could be. I see what this devastation could become. When we learn to do that in our workplaces, in our homes, with ourselves, when we learn to do that, and I'm still learning, when we learn to do that, we will start to change the world around us. Jesus didn't open the doors. He just said, those doors are open. <laughs> Jesus didn't free the captives. He just said, captives, you are free. He changed the world with his very words. And we have his spirit within us. We are the oaks that he has planted. We are, of the, we are a chip off the old block. We are the people who live in the, and, and thrive with the same reality. It's about learning to proclaim. It's about learning to use the very words of God. I, I was with someone recently who just was just desperately sad, desperately hopeless. And as they were talking, they were fearing that their life was coming to an end and saying, you know, what, I'm just in God's waiting room. And just as they were saying, I thought, I just can't, I don't know what I can do, because I can't, I can't promise them, you're going to live another 30 years. Who knows? You know, who knows how long any one of us have got? That you, you can give false hope, can't you? I thought, I can't promise them that they're going to have another 30 years of life. I don't know how long they're going to live, but what I can do, it, this doesn't feel right. God's waiting room, that, that's no, that is hopeless. There's no, no way out of that. So just as I was praying in my mind, the Holy Spirit said to me, what about if it's not God's waiting room? What if it's God's last adventure? <laughs> And so I said to them, 
What about if you got up every morning, instead of saying this is God's wedding reminder, you said to yourself, this is God's last adventure. And you could see, I could see their eyes brightened as we began to explore what that would look like, what it would mean to get up every day and say, this is God's last adventure. Come on, let's, let's have one more adventure with God. Let's, who knows how long? It might be the longest adventure we've ever known. Who knows how long it is? But let's live life living God's adventure. It's just a, a simple illustration of how we can bring life to people. We can redefine the world. We can call into being that which is not. We can declare this is something with hope and a future. You will be called priests of God, the very ministers of God. Jesus' ministry is finished. But now our ministry begins. He came to plant a seed that would become great oaks across the planet. And Isaiah says that the glory of the Lord will be on him, that he will be glorified. He will be glorified as the great oaks go out. He will be glorified. You might think, I don't want to call myself a great oak. It will make me feel proud. But Isaiah says there will be great oaks, a planting of the Lord, that he will be glorified. To be anything less than a great oak is actually to steal God's glory. Because he wants you to be a great oak, and he died for you to be a great oak, and he paid the price for you to be a great oak. And so if you live anything short of recognizing you are a great oak, you're actually taking his glory away. It's like, you know, you're, you're saying you didn't get what you paid for, Lord. You paid for a great oak, and here I am, a weedy sapling. He's not going to be happy. <laughs> because he paid for great oaks. He wants great oaks. So live as a great oak. Restore ancient ruins. Raise up former devastations. Repair ruined cities. And in there somewhere is your mission. In there is your destiny. In there... Tell them I'm busy with you. In, the, in there is your purpose. Amen?